You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I am professional wrestler Chris Rex, and if you're hearing my voice, that means you're listening to the Bear of Texas podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of Into the Net FC, the soccer talk discussion segment of the Bear of Texas podcast. I am the host, the Bear of Texas, and ladies and gentlemen, finally, 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 the return of the coolest nurse in the history of nursing in beautiful and sunny Southern California, Steve Adams. Steve, I swear to God, it's been so long. It's been a while. Been a while. Um... So, yeah, whole lot of talking points with the CONCACAF World Cup qualifiers. Where would you like to start? Well, we're going to go ahead and start with their first game, you know, from this uh, qualifying campaign. You know, it's divided into threes, but the first one was last Thursday, the USA versus El Salvador. Yeah, uh, between Greg Berhalter and U.S. Soccer, they came up with the unique plan of basically having all games as cold weather games. So this first game against El Salvador, they played in Columbus, where Berhalter, of course, was a coach. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, which meant that it was a fairly short commute to get from uh, central Ohio over to Hamilton, Ontario, which is in that little little isthmus of Ontario that kind of goes down towards New York State. And then finishing up with the third game at Allianz Field in St. Paul last night. So um, they decided to go with uh, smaller venues um, where they're, to be really blunt, not as many uh, Central or Latin American communities where, you know, they would have more supporters at the game than USA fans. So I think that was that was part of it, too. But... Um, you know, the U.S. offense had really kind of a rough time against El Salvador. And El Salvador, credit to them, Hugo Perez, who is a former U.S. international himself, he's the coach of El Salvador. You know, he has a really, really plucky team, and he gets a lot out of that team. Um, they held the U.S. to a scoreless draw in San Salvador the first game mm-hmm. uh, for CONCACAF qualifying. And the U.S., they only won one zip off of a really nice goal, mind you. It was a really nice half volley that Anthony Robinson did, followed by an even more spectacular front and back flip to celebrate the goal. But uh, they didn't exactly pad the goal differential. 
And, uh, you know, still a lot of questions being asked of the U.S. offensive production. Pulisic had an extremely sterile game up front. He was a total non-factor, I thought, against the El Salvadorians. Um, You know, but they they did what they had to do. They got the W in Columbus. Uh, Absolutely, they did. And, you know, and I saw from the first half at least three huge chances by the USA were right there, and they did not capitalize on it. You know, you know, that's been the problem. I mean, that's the sure. problem with the U.S. men's national team, much like France, when there's these golden chances, more often than not, they don't take that opportunity. Yeah, Ferreira didn't cash in on a couple of chances. Uh, they, Berhalter put him up front and uh, sat Ricardo Pepe to start this game. Uh, Tim Weah did some great running down the right wing, and... Uh, Tim Way is becoming a very, very important, almost indispensable guy for the USA uh, attack. And the fact that he could not play against because of a technicality on his uh, immunization status for COVID, he wasn't allowed to go into Canada, uh, even though he qualifies, you know, for being in France where he plays with Lille in Ligue 1 and then able to come back home to the U.S. But, uh, his pace down the right-hand side, uh, both against El Salvador and then last night in St. Paul against Honduras, uh, he's becoming, I think, a guy to be penciled in uh, right off the cuff to be right wing. Absolutely. I mean, he's doing a, you know, playing in France. You know, we've, we've talked about this so many times. You know, more American players are having the opportunity to play on the big stage in, in Europe and you know, seeing Tim Weah, you know, improving, you know, like I said, I mean, th- this is about building the future for the U.S. men's national team. And I've been saying, you know, since the failure to qualify for Russia four years ago, there's it, it's been all a series of tests. I mean, the first test was winning the CONCACAF uh, Nations League, then winning the Gold Cup. That's two tests passed so far. And the third one is happening right now, the qualifiers. So that's test number three. So, I mean, so far, I mean, they had one setback, but they seem to be in good position. But that win against uh, that one-one win against El Salvador that had me worried going into the games against Canada because Canada is probably doing a whole lot better than they've ever done. I mean, they're on top of the group. They beat the U.S. two nothing, and they're on the verge of qualifying for the World Cup for the first time since 1986. <laughs> well, Canada has looked the best out of everybody in the region. They're clearly the they're, right now. They're the valedictorian of the region um and they've done this they've got a fairly commanding lead at the top and they're already done with their toughest road games and they got draws at mexico they got draws at the u.s and uh in hamilton on sunday uh, canada sort of did something to the u.s what canada what the u.s had to do with Uh, Mexico for years they had to play really physical uh, try to unnerve the team a little bit and kind of get under the skin while the Canadians were playing really physical in Hamilton on Sunday uh, somewhat dare say chippy um, really poor clearance by Turner at goal leads to uh, Kyle Laren's early goal in the seventh minute for the Canadians um, the U.S. did have some chances. Uh, the Canadian goalkeeper, uh, Milan Borjan, had uh, some really good saves. Uh, 
saved a really, you know, promising looking header from um, McKinney. And then they got a garbage time goal from Adekube in the fifth minute. But uh, the Canadians played a really smart game. You know, yeah, the U.S. had possession. But, uh, you know, Canada looked pretty much in control most of the game. They really didn't look all that threatened. The U.S. had a total of three shots on goal. But um, but no Tim Way, um, that hurt. And then um, Richards and uh, Tyler Adams getting hurt in the Canadian game. Uh, and Tyler Adams is becoming a very, very indispensable player, too, uh, for his calm and his hard work that he does back at a more defensive midfield position for the Americans. So, uh, yeah, it was not a great performance in Hamilton for the U.S. to be sure. Another extremely disappointing game for Pulisic. He was he was really not a factor at all, looked, looked pretty much lost. Big time. I mean... In Canada's case, Alfonso Davies isn't wasn't even available for this uh, for, for these three games. He's not going to be playing for a little bit. Apparently, he had some um, endocarditis from getting COVID, which um, for a lot of young people seems to be a real risk of getting um, myocarditis or endocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart muscle. Uh, this seems to be a real thing that's happening to younger people that are getting COVID. So for people that are thinking that this is just, uh, uh, you're old, you've got diabetes, uh, you've got kidney problems, you've got other significant comorbidities, that that's going to put you at risk for problems with COVID. Well, young people are getting endocarditis with this. And, um, you know, uh, even without their best player, and Alfonso Davies right now, is not only the best player in Canada, he's arguably the best player in CONCACAF right now. His brilliant pace, uh, his depth touch with the ball. I mean, it, all you have to do is just watch him ply his trade with Bayern Munich. And then when he's with uh, the Canadian national team, I mean, he's just brilliant. But even without Alfonso Davies, Canada's team speed, their pace is just nothing short of breathtaking they're well coached uh they're well disciplined um you know they're getting solid goalkeeping um from Boryan. so uh they're sitting pretty good i think pretty much if they get two more points out of their last three games the canadians are pretty well through absolutely i mean they have a really really good manager and john herdman and you know, for John Herdman, as we know, he actually managed the Canadian women's national team from 2011 to 2018 and, you know, and made that team, you know, very good and very dominant. So he's basically doing, bringing that success to the men's team as he did with the women's team. I mean, in last year, he actually guided the Team Canada from ranked 72nd in the world to 40th. And that's actually the highest that the Canadian national team's ever been, ever been ranked in FIFA. I mean, he's actually bringing some recognition to Canadian soccer because when people think of the of sport in Canada they don't think soccer they think hockey so you know I think he's trying to really get bring soccer in that spotlight in Canada just like it's they're trying to do it here in the United States well yeah and he like I said he's doing a fantastic job I think really the three best coaching jobs so far out of the the, the teams and um this octagonal uh, for Concacaf, I think number one, he's 
number one with a bullet as far as the top manager. I think Hugo Perez has done a fantastic job with El Salvador with very, very little at his disposal. Uh, his team gives a good effort in pretty much every game. And, um, you know, they lost last night to Canada. Uh, Canada just, you know, a little too much for them. And then uh, Christensen, the manager for Panama, he gets a lot out of that team. Uh, they really, frankly, got hosed against Mexico last night. Panama played really, really well in the first half against Mexico. Mexico, much better second half. Um, they had a really dubious, soft penalty call that uh, Raul Jimenez cashed in for the Canadians. But uh, in it, too, I mean, they've got a lot to say before this thing is all done. Yeah, they do, and you know the fact that Mexico couldn't even beat Costa Rica in their uh, in that first game. I mean, that was actually pretty interesting, and you know, and Mexico, yeah, like I said, being gifted that penalty. I mean, you know, Mexico got lucky, honestly. But you know, r- right now with the USA uh, picking up, you know, these seven points, uh, you know, and you said that's it. These excuse me, speaking up six points. We said you said we needed seven at the most. I mean. You know, right now with, with several more games left to play, and the USA's got a tough road while Canada's basically in good in good shape. It's uh, it's certainly going to be tough, but you know, the USA had to. Uh, I mean, playing Honduras, you know, at home. I mean, there was no ex- there was no excuse to lose at home in Honduras. But this game, you know, as as you said in your words, very ill advised because it took place in your home state of Minnesota. But what's really interesting was the temperature of that game. And you, as a native Minnesota, my friend, I mean, you know how bad, how brutal these winters are in the in Minnesota, and, and I think they played in negative twelve degrees. It was brutal condition, to be sure. Uh, the minus twelve was wind chill, but you know it was like two degrees uh, in the second half. And um, my good friend John Eichton from the Metropolis Rugby Club, he sent some pictures from the game, and uh, he had his can of. Uh, surly ale that had frozen i mean it literally hard freeze overflow ice coming out of the top of the can but uh you know there's some great visuals from that game on the univision broadcast that former u.s international marcelo balboa does uh they washed a, a shirt and then they brought the shirt out into the cold air and within minutes it was frozen as hard as a board Oh man, um, I had extremely, I had extremely mixed feelings about doing this game in February in St. Paul. Um, I mean, yeah, you know, there's a little bit of gamesmanship because, I mean, Honduras has scheduled games at three in the afternoon when it's ninety degrees and ninety percent humidity. I mean, people in Kokakif, they they try to you know, do gamesmanship and stuff. Mexico plays at the Azteca. You're at altitude. You're shitty air quality, horrible pollution. Um, You know, but Costa Rica and Honduras, a lot of times they'll schedule the U.S. games to be in the afternoon playing in that heavy tropical heat. So this was kind of extreme. Uh, It had the potential to really blow up in U.S. soccer's face. Um... I I mean, we have enough talent now where I don't think we needed to do the weather gamesmanship. 
I mean, on the one hand, it was really great to see a full house at Allianz Arena in St. Paul last night, and the fans were all, they were into it, good atmosphere. Um, the Hondurans were clearly bothered by, by the conditions. And, I mean, understandably so. I mean, they had left 80-plus degree weather, and then to come into that, they had to take two players off the field during the game that were suffering from hypothermia. And um, you not, have they're to they're be concerned about the potential for injuries in the cold. No. A lot of Americans aren't used to that type of cold. I mean, I'm sure I'm uh, not. I mean, even though mean, it's 22 it, degrees down here right now. That would have... <laughs> Well, I just think it, the potential was there for things to really blow up and go sideways. You know, it, luckily the U.S. came out. They had a great effort. They played really hard. They played well. Uh, several players did a fantastic job. Uh, Tim Weah was fantastic on the right wing again. Um, let's see, uh, De La Torre. He had a really, really excellent game. Acosta, or excuse me, yeah, Luca De La Torre. He was fantastic. He did a lot of hard running. Acosta, excellent game. Zimmerman, really good game in the back, scored a goal. Uh, Pulisic came on as a super sub. Uh, they started Jordan Morris to give him kind of a physical presence up front in that cold weather. Um, and I think that certainly wore quite a bit. McKinney, fantastic game. Uh, scores scores a goal off a header, off a set piece. I, I mean, Acosta had a hand in the crosses that created all three U.S. goals. And uh, it was some of the best service of ball that I've seen in a long time. Uh, Cannon, uh, Burhalter decided to put him at right back and give Sergino Dest a... Uh, a seat, even though I didn't think he played all that poorly against Canada, and frankly, I thought he ran really well against El Salvador. But uh, but back to the point of the weather. It's done. It's over with. It's going to enter a certain amount of legend. I don't think we'll ever see such a thing again. We're not going to see this before the next World Cup qualifying because the U.S. The U.S., Canada, and Mexico are already all qualified for the next World Cup in um, 2026. So for the next World Cup cycle, that'll be, you know, 2028. Um, it should be a more normal cycle. You won't have a compressed schedule, you know, because of the time frame World Cup is going to be. I don't think you'll ever see u.s soccer having to do this type of gamesmanship of having to do games in late january early february and the thing that's really unfortunate too uh i mean my home state is going to get some knocks on this and i mean the first thing that people say all the time even where i live here in la oh you're from number i mean it's the first thing that comes out of anybody's mouth so this game last night is certainly not going to get rid of any of those stereotypes but um but it's done it's over with uh nobody got hurt and they got the win yeah they did and you know when you were expressing your concern about the weather you know you know some people would honestly think that you know okay you know it's not that bad like no like that weather i mean i was something like you grew up in minnesota i mean you've had more than your fair share of brutal of, of a brutal winter i mean there was that one time 
I think it was in the nineties, I believe, with was that major uh, snowstorm. The Halloween blizzard. Yeah, the Halloween blizzard. Nineteen ninety one. Yeah, I mean it. Halloween blizzard. But the thing is, there's there's a difference between you know two and a half feet of snow, and you know playing soccer in you know minus twelve windchill. I mean, I yes, I grew up there. I played soccer uh, in college, and um, I could not imagine trying to kick that hard frozen ball. I can't imagine trying to head that hard frozen ball. Um, I, I mean, it was just miserable conditions. Um, I mean, that would have been cold. That last night would have been cold even for an outdoor winter classic type right. game. <laughs> I mean, so, uh, one of our buddies at um, stoppage time even said that this weather is even considered unsafe for an outdoor hockey game. Yeah, well, it's funny when they did the on New Year's Day when they did the the Winter Classic with uh, the Minnesota Wild versus the St. Louis Blues. It was actually minus eight. That was without windshield. That was the ambient temperature minus eight when they dropped the puck to start the game. Wow. So that was the so the coldest Winter Classic ever. And the the coldest game that uh, the U.S. men's national soccer team ever had to play with. It's unfortunate that they didn't play one of the October games in St. Paul because it's a beautiful stadium. Um, my son, Ian, he did the, the light work on that stadium. So that's something that he's very proud of. But uh, and Minnesota in the autumn is awesome. No mosquitoes. Um, autumn autumn color it, it, if you're gonna go to minnesota i think the best time of the year to go there is the autumn so it's too bad they didn't schedule one of the october games there but um but you know it, it's done with you know uh and i think now the players are finally coming out saying it's like yeah it was miserable it sucked playing in that but uh they soldiered on and to be fair, before the game, there was no letting on. There was no whining. It's kind of like, look, it is what it is. We can't do anything about the weather. All we could do is play. They went out. They played hard. Granted, Honduras is not a very good team right now. Uh, but still, they, they did what they had to. So they, they put themselves in a pretty good position. Things are going to st start getting really interesting when you're looking at these final three games that uh, – all the teams are going to have. Uh, so next next up for the U.S., they have to go to the Azteca to play Mexico. To be honest with you, the way Mexico was looking, they were so incredibly disjointed last night. And, and like I said, they were frankly lucky to get the win on a very generous CONCACAF-type call against Panama. But I think if the U.S. Is, plays like they're capable of, of playing if Burhalter gets the, the lineup right, you know, I, I think the, I think they could actually not only just get a draw, I think they could finally get a win at the Azteca. That would be huge. So, uh, but keep in mind, Mexico is pissed off at the U S I mean, they are hell bent on revenge, my friend, because we took the, CONCACAF Nations League title from them. We took the Gold Cup title from them. We took a win uh, against them already in, in qualifiers. I mean, the USA has been getting the best out of Mexico. And Mexico is quite frankly humiliated. That because Mexico is known for dominating the rivalry. And now all of a sudden the, the tables are turned. They want to turn the tables back again. 
But as you say, they look disjointed. Well, but I mean, we're gonna have to wait and see how well, this one goes. Well, in Spanish, well, in Spanish, there's a word called orgullo, which means pride, mm-hmm. and the, the Mexicans will have a lot of pride. You know, uh, yeah, they haven't looked all that great in their last few games. You know, but now they get to play the old enemy. They get to play them. Um, at the Azteca and the crappy air in the, in the altitude, you know, with uh, probably will be a, quite a few more fans in the stands. Uh, I think the COVID stuff will be at a point where they'll be able to allow more fans in the Azteca from for the Mexico game. Um, but I got to hardly wait. Um, you know, March 24th, yeah, that date is certainly uh, circled on my calendar. And then, um, you know, the other, the other games that day, Panama will be at home. Honduras. Honduras already eliminated. Not very good. I think Panama wins that game. Uh, Jamaica plays El Salvador in a fairly meaningless game. Um, And a game that has some importance to both the U.S. and to Panama. uh, Costa Rica has actually kind of crept up into things. Costa Rica will be hosting Canada on the next match day. So Canada is going to go down there knowing that if they get a draw or a win they almost cement their chances of, uh, you know, punching their ticket for Cutter. Mm-hmm. So that's that's going to be a that's going to be a really interesting game, and I think that's a game that both the U.S. and Panama are both probably going to be rooting for the Canadians to get the road win down in San Jose. Um, next round, uh, El Salvador will host Costa Rica. Canada hosts Jam- Jamaica. Honduras hosts Mexico. Um, again, you have to like Mexico's chances against a disheartened, not very good Honduran team. Although Honduras likes, they do up their game against Mexico sides. Uh, they tend to bring it when when they play Mexico. And then the U.S. will be hosting Panama in Orlando. So that'll be decidedly much nicer weather on uh, <laughs> Sunday, March 27th. No doubt. So, but that one, but that one also amounts to a, a must-win game as well. And um, Panama is cagey, and you know they've got some good team speed. They tend to not play as well in the second half. They they tend to fall off quite a bit in the second half. But usually, first half, Panama is usually right out of the box. Uh, you know, again, I think Christensen has done just a, a fantastic job. Uh, coaching Panama and um, you know but the other thing that's also going to come into play by this point you know the you don't know what's going to happen with injuries you also don't know what's going to happen with yellow cards mm-hmm. you know yellow card accumulation is a very very real thing too Tim Wea Tim Wea picked up a really stupid yellow last night against Honduras yeah, that's right yeah so did. you know he has to kind of watch his P's and Q's and then on the final match day, Panama hosting Canada. You know, nation Canada by then will have pretty much wrapped up a World Cup spot. You know, how much intensity will they bring to that last game in Panama? They have a lot of pride. Uh, Costa Rica, the U.S. is going to have to go to Costa Rica. Costa U.S. has not won in Costa Rica. And the thing that you just really, really hope that the U.S. can avoid is having to go to Costa Rica on that very, very last game day 
and having to get a win. Uh, Jamaica hosts Honduras in a meaningless game. And then Mexico will be hosting eliminated El Salvador. So you would have to fancy the Mexicans' chances in that. So I think if the U.S. can get four points out of these next three games, I think I think they should get in. Uh, two wins would be much better, but I think if they could if they could at least get four points um, out of these out of these three tough games, you know I think they I think they've got a legitimate shot. But the the thing to be really concerned about. Costa Rica has the potential. If if they run the table, they get nine points. You know that could put either the U.S. or the Mexico down into that fourth place spot, where they're going to have to play likely New Zealand, who should be winning the Oceania group. Um, so that's that's what awaits the fourth place team, and uh, that's not so bad. I mean, if you're having to play against New Zealand, that's certainly a lot better than having to play the fifth place team from South America qualifying. Mm-hmm, for sure. um, that that scenario would be a nightmare. So, so luckily, luckily the U.S. would not be in a position of having to play a team like, say, Colombia or Peru uh, or Chile. So, um, so I think the U.S. is still. It's looking good. It's looking better. I think people are feeling a, a whole lot more confident now, uh, especially after last night, how they looked against Honduras in really adverse conditions in St. Paul. I think this is the type of thing where you go through a really, really tough thing together as a team. I think it could really help the bonding of this team too. I think for all these players that were in St. Paul last night and they made it through that, I think it's a bonding experience. It's not too unlike the basic training that your brother just went through with the Marine Corps. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> you know, there, there is something about shared advert. There, there, there's nothing like shared adversity that can help with teamwork. I mean, that's one of the things my brother had to go through with basic training, but that's the Marines in a nutshell. It's everything depends on teamwork. I mean, he told me, yeah, he told me some of the hell he went through, but every time I said the same thing, I said, well, that's what you asked for. You enlisted. I mean, this is this everything you go through, you know, you asked for it. <laughs> you know, my brother, he's actually in Pendleton yeah, right now. No question about he's it. A, a so, doing, he's um, doing a Marine combat training, and I looked up what they do at combat training. Yeah, I mean, this is where the stuff really gets real. I mean, this is where you really learn, you know, the advanced, you know, weaponry, and you know, I mean, it's. You know, this is where you learn to be a fighting marine, as they like to say. Oh yeah. No, no, the the shit gets real. Yeah. When you're at that point, my two best buddies from high school, uh, Mike Ock and Tom Tom Smith, um, they were they were marines, and yeah, Semper Fi. I have I have a lot of respect for anybody. I have a lot of respect for anybody in the military, but I have a tremendous amount of respect for anybody who goes through Marine Corps basic training. Yeah, it's, it, it is brutal. I mean, seeing my brother, you know, see, seeing my brother graduate from that, I mean, you, you could just tell, you know, that mind. I mean, that, that changes your mind, you know, like the way you are. I mean, you know, how physical you are. I mean, it's, you know, I see my brother had a medal, you know, had one of those things like that, you know, because he actually had a very good high scoring you know, with the shooting. I mean, for the for a guy, you know, my brother who had never shot a gun before, for him to have a very good marksmanship score, I mean, that's unheard of. So, 
Yeah, so, you know, for everybody who sent their, you know, best, you know, to my brother, I really appreciate that, uh, you know, uh, he, some, some of his fellow, uh, fellow guys, from, you know, he, he told him some about this show, so they were really interested, and, you know, maybe I'll have him on sometime, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we were talking about, you know, how brutal was playing, it is playing in Minnesota, you know, my brother would, would, would say, look, it's negative 12 degrees there, but, you know, just imagine doing the crucible crawling through wet mud and water you know, when it's freezing outside, I mean, that... <laughs> That's something you know. You just have to get through it. Like, it's, it's just it's awful. But, you know that that cold that, that cold weather. It, oh yeah, that gets no to doubt. You. I mean, I mean he, he was in you know in, in Southern California. I mean in Minnesota it's even more brutal. But yeah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, Into the Net FC is available to you on all streaming platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and YouTube. Thank you very, very much for joining me this evening. Steve, hope to have you back on again soon. Glad to talk with you, partner. You take care. All right. See you all next time. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.